Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome everybody to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. The only Kentucky daily show that gives you the news, well, daily, I mean, five days a week, that gives you news, commentary, information from a constitutional, from a conservative viewpoint. Uh, We've been going over the past two days some out-of-control spending. That will continue today as we discuss that. Look, I'm going to be honest with you all. It is not easy finding all this information I've been giving you. These are not things that are reported on in the newspapers. You're not going to find these on your local TV channels. This is the kind of information you have to go digging for, and you got to know where to look. And so it's important that, well, this information get out there, though, because I think it's incredibly important to hold our governments accountable. But the only way it gets out there is if you do your part and sharing about the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, whether that's telling others to tune in on WZXI at 9 a.m. Monday through Friday, or to check it out online elsewhere at 1 p.m., you can always head over to theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com to go ahead and check out uh, you know, different ways you can listen to it. You can see old episodes, old shows, things like that. That's always a good resource for anybody looking to stay up to date. But I want to encourage you to go ahead and be sharing this with others. And then also as well, if you've got questions, concerns, comments, you you think I'm getting something wrong, feel free to email me at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Now, we will be digging more into crazy out-of-control spending. We're going to focus on the Kentucky Council of the Arts today, and we're going to be doing that because, well, frankly, while the dollar amounts aren't as eye-popping as the near $75 million of waste we've already covered the last two days, what they're spending it on and how it's being used against our very values as Kentuckians and how it continues to create this kind of division that we see in our country, and our state, well, that is particularly egregious. So we'll be digging into that. But first, but first, that's later on today. So those of you who listen to the show know I talked about a CDC contract that Kentucky did. I think I talked about this two days ago. And it was a $1.3 million contract for uh, Kentucky to take a survey of 4,500. So they issued this contract out. The state of Kentucky was acting on behalf of the CDC uh, to get 4,500 live answer surveys on landline and cell phones uh, to study racial disparities in healthcare in Kentucky. And that was a cost of $1.3 million or nearly uh, $300 per completed survey because they had to do 400. 4,500 of them. So 4,500 of them. And, you know, generally speaking online, people have recognized right away intrinsically what a waste this is, but some people have decided that this is perhaps slightly debatable, that maybe I'm wrong to be pointing this out as a misspending. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't point out just how crazy this contract is on several levels. First is, Is it a good thing for government to even study? Well, that's got to be breaking down into two roles. One is, should government really be involved with healthcare 
at all, which I mean is kind of debatable. I mean, the more government has gotten involved with our healthcare, the more expensive and worse it's gotten. Keep in mind, we've been studying the certificate of need laws issue here in Kentucky for several months now on the Andrew Cooperator show. And what we see is that government is already regulating healthcare so much that they say the free market can't step in to help lower the price point. And they point to things like Medicare, Medicaid, not paying out enough. So therefore private pay and self-pay people have to pay significantly more to make up the difference when they go and get services from hospitals. And this is why Kentucky has to have an enforced monopoly on healthcare like we do now. And so that's the first thing that's debatable. Now, people who say, no, government, of course, should be involved in healthcare because, well, we can't just have people out here operating in healthcare willy-nilly. However, I think it's worth pointing out that the private private people bringing malpractice lawsuits have done more to regulate and change the healthcare industry more than the government ever did. This was the entire idea behind country, behind freedom, behind the free market is that if somebody enacts damages on you, you get to sue them, not just to can, you know, uh, make up for, to, to give you reparations for the damages that they have caused to compensate you for it, but also to discourage the kind of behavior in the future. That's the entire point of it. And those types of actions have done more to regulate the healthcare system than anything else. And you know this because when you talk to doctors or people in healthcare, one of the biggest things they want from government right now is tort reform. They want to tamp down the amount that they can get sued by private citizens. They're not saying they want less regulation from the government. I hardly ever hear hospital systems asking for less regulation. They're always asking for more regulation, specifically in tort reform. That tells you that government is helping hospitals' bottom lines more than they're helping lower the cost of healthcare. So that's the first question. But second, let's say you believe that government should be involved in this way in healthcare. Well, should government in the first place be studying racial disparities in healthcare? Is that even a worthwhile thing to study if they're already involved in healthcare? Well, this, this is the thing. Is the claim that healthcare is actually racist, is that a real thing? Is, is that even possible, right? And this is where we go into causation versus correlation. So it could be based on more so on things like geography and socioeconomical class as far as healthcare disparities than the fact that they're black. I mean, let me ask you this, okay? Do you really think, so let's say you're doing this survey and let's say uh, their contract required them to talk to at least 500 black Kentuckians, but let's say all 500 they talked to or the vast majority of them all earned over 150K a year. Meanwhile, the the white people in the study that they looked at were all earning less than 40K a year. Who do you think would have better healthcare outcomes? Who do you think would be actually experiencing more healthcare disparities? The white people earning less than 40K or the black people earning 150K or more? So really, the skin color doesn't have anything to do with it as much as the social economical status and geography does. And healthcare, and that and that deals with individual circumstances. And if there's any place where she, we should be looking at people on their individual basis, it's healthcare. Because there is more that you individually can do to affect your healthcare than anything else. There, you can make healthy decisions, you know, exercise, eat healthy, do those types of things, not smoke, 
right? Th those types of decisions affect your healthcare more than being black or white ever, ever will. But yet our government is spending millions of dollars on this, 1.3 million just here in Kentucky. Now, members of the contract review committees, I've dug into this contract and the, uh, you know, another one that got a lot of attention was the Western Kentucky University contract where it was a relatively small contract, $27,500, but the contract was for uh, WKU. So the, the legislature was approving a contract for WKU to get to purchase a lobbyist to lobby the legislature. So it's kind of this weird situation where the legislature was lobbying, was approving a contract that would then lobby them. That's kind of crazy. And the fact that we're in a government and a governmental system where the, the, the legislature is approving lobbying contracts that's for lobbying them tells you that something is greatly mistaken. Something's wrong. But the members of the contract review committee have uh, taken issue with people coming after them saying, look, there isn't much we can do about a lot of these contracts. We, we simply can look at them, ask some questions, but there's nothing we can do to really stop them, to which I say you are mistaken. There's a lot you can do, and I think this is a cop-out by those legislators. And I'll be going into what these legislators could do, that process behind the contracts and what they can do to stop this out of control spending, specifically on the contract review side after this short break, because you're listening to the Andrew Cooperetter Show, which is your source for Kentucky politics. As always, reach out to the show, email me at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. We'll be back after this short break. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperetter Show, your source for Kentucky politics from a conservative standpoint, you know, the show you love to listen to. I hope before the break, we were talking about the, uh, we, we were going over some of the contracts. We talked about the last two days, this out of control spending. We've seen that the contract review committee, the legislatures have just kind of rubber stamped it on through. And now some legislators have taken issue with this characterization because they say, well, look, we can't do much to stop it. Understand what the process is. Okay. So the, uh, uh there's discretionary spending that the executive branch gets to do. So the legislature, they appropriate funds into pots, and then it's up to the executive branch of how they want to spend that money for the vast majority. Though when it comes to issuing contracts, not when it comes to issuing you know, grant proposals or other incentives like that, but when it comes specifically to contracts, there's a statutory committee called the Government Contract Review Committee where the legislators get to weigh in on these contracts as they're coming through. Now, if they don't like a contract, they decide to question it, ask some questions, and then they vote to disapprove said contract. It is true that they can be easily vetoed by a member of the executive branch. Sometimes it's the governor. Sometimes it's the finance cabinet. Sometimes if it deals with the universities, the universities themselves can go ahead and spend the money anyways. And so for this reason, the legislators say, look, there's nothing we can do. There's no reason for us to even question the contracts to which I say bullhickey. I say bullhickey. I say you're being lazy because there's a lot you can do. First, you can pass some bills, right? If you really, so, so you know, if, if you're somebody who's taking issue with this, like the chair of the committee, Senator <clears throat> Meredith, if you're taking issues with being called out on this, well, why don't you sponsor and get on board with a bill to ban taxpayer-funded lobbying? Why don't you ban taxpayer-funded lobbying by these universities? Why don't you get on board with that? But of course, you haven't. But there's something else you could do. Why is it falling 
to a common citizen, Andrew Cooperwriter, to be the one alerting the public to these contracts. If you really take issue with the contract legislators, why don't you alert the public about it? Why aren't you posting on your socials about it? Why do they have to find out from Andrew Cooperwriter about it? You're not limited to just voting on bills and proposals. You can also alert the public when something of big concern is coming across the desk. Representative Savannah Maddox does this well. Representative Proctor, Representative Doan, right? When they see uh, Senator Southworth, when they see a bill coming through that they have issues with, they alert others in the community. They alert activists. They make posts on social media. They sometimes send texts to people like me saying, hey, this is going on. You know, we, we need people to be aware of this. But that's not what people like uh, some of these people on the contract review committee are doing. So when they say, what do you want me to do about it? Well, you can at least open your mouth and say something. That's a small thing you could do, but you don't do it. Why? Because you don't actually care. You're only caring after the fact. You only care because now you're coming under heat from people like me and others for your failure to act, your failure to alert, your failure to do anything. They're saying you have control over the purse strings legislature. Why aren't you passing bills while you are in session to put a stop to this? And why are you not alerting citizens to what's going on, but instead you're sitting on your hands or worse, throwing them up in the air saying, I, I can't do anything about this. It gives you something to think about, doesn't it? They're really so against it that they can't actually take a stand on it. Can actually take a stand on it. But as I promised, we'd be continuing our discuss discussion on uh, out of control spending, continuing on with the festivist for the rest of us. We're leaving aside contracts for today. So these are things that the legislature uh, doesn't review. So this is, we're going to be talking about the uh, Kentucky Council on the Arts. Now, the legislature obviously appropriates funds for the Kentucky Council on the Arts for them then to spend with relatively little oversight. They get asked questions when they're in session, but there are things they can do to prevent some of these things. And I'll be going into uh, what they can do afterwards. But first, I want to I want to tell you about the problem is, right? So so this Kentucky Council on the Arts, they hand out grants. And what they what they've been doing is they're handing out grants to places that absolutely are fighting against our values. You know, if if there's a a group out there that's in the arts that's doing something that I disagree with, well, if they're privately funded, I'm not saying I want my government to get involved in stopping them, but I tell you this much. What I don't want my government doing is taking my tax dollars that they've taken from me by force, by the way, and from you by force, and then using it to spend on this kind of craziness. And let's go into what some of this craziness is. First off, the Kentucky Council on the Arts. They've given money to PONES, P-O-N-E-S. I don't really know what that stands for. They seem to do a lot of work in Cincinnati. They're kind of a dance troupe. Their work, though, includes promoting drag queens. <laughs> Uh, out into the public. And according to their own mission statement, Pones is a collective of over 50 dancers of various ages, abilities, body types, races, and backgrounds. Our team is intentionally diverse to continue our efforts to break down that Eurocentric lens through which our art form is often viewed. Eurocentric lens. Now, th these are clearly far left talking points and flags. Pushing forward dragging, drag queens, talking about, oh, view things through Eurocentric lens. Oh, the Western society, down with it, communism, blah, blah, blah. So how much have we given them? 3000 
to fund their important work of breaking down that Eurocentric lens as well as promoting drag queens. That is, of course, uh, assuming they're not in Cincinnati doing it while we are giving them money. Here's another one. we got the Lexington Arts League, which is known for their nude biennial, (laughs) biennial, where they uh, feature nude artwork. Really a fun night for the whole family, right? How much do they get? Well, they get $6,746 this year. That does buy a lot of nudes. That does buy a lot of nudes, I would say. We got Lex Arts, who's done wonderful programming like the Juneteenth Celebration, the Crown Act Memorial Unveiling, which is dedicated to black people's hair. No, I'm not kidding. Black people's hair. The Crown Act is about some sort of racism and and something to do with black people's hair. Apparently there's just this massive amount of racists out there who are, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, they're subjugating black people or being racist or uh, uh, somehow because of their hairstyles. Uh, I don't know, but, but so they unveiled a mural to, uh, you know, the crown act. Um, They had a say it loud black and proud event. Imagine a, white and proud event night, right? Might be considered a little racist. Or how about their queer literary hoedown, which quite honestly, I can make a lot of jokes about, but I've got a lot of these programs to get through. But um, well, you can just imagine what kind of jokes I can make about the queer literary hoedown. So how much do they get? Well, they got $23,790 this year. You got the Pine Mountain Settlement School. You may remember Pine Mountain Settlement School as the place where they hosted the Waymakers Coalition, who came into the place and then proceeded to desecrate a, a, a you know, over hundred year old church, the that was active church with Hindu symbology that led to the community in the area. Uh, coming up Hindu and atheist, you know, symbology going on there that led to the people in the area going up and and basically saying, Waymakers, you got to get out of the church. Not, not, you know, the Pine Mountain Settlement leadership. No, but the people of the community said, this is a church that is centric to our community. This is an ancient church for us, not ancient, but an old church for us. You're not going to come into our Christian church that's over hundred years old and desecrate it with your atheist and Hindu ideology. You need to get out of our church. They came up there to hold them accountable for that. Although Pine Mountain Settlement School got $15,796 this year. The Actors Theater of Louisville, who has a monthly show called The After Show Show, which is hosted by two drag queens called Dusty Ray Bottoms and May O'Nays. It's billed as a show where drag and Broadway combine, though it's uh, late at night. So even though it is late at night, don't forget to bring the kids because here's one from October 5th. Uh, the After Show Show, hosted by Dusty Ray Bottoms and Mayo Nace, joined by local touring and youth musical theater performers at 10 p.m. at night. So at 10 o'clock at night, they're having a drag show featuring youth theater performers. That doesn't sound wrong at all, does it? That doesn't sound like sexual deviance. That doesn't sound like taking advantage of children. No, that doesn't sound like exposing children to porn and sexuality and sexual performances. At least you think that this is just a one-off for this theater. It's literal logo for this, this group, the actors theater of Louisville. It, 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 
prominently displays the gay pride flag. You know, the one, the really ugly one with all the collars that they can think of where it looks like somebody just, you know, like ate a box of crayons and vomited on a piece of cloth. So how much are you giving them to host their drag shows? How much do you give them for taxpayer funded drag shows? $46,648 a year, just a small sum. You know, as people enjoy watching sexualized performances on your dime. Once again, our legislators could do something about this. This isn't just on Bashir. While Bashir's administration has some control over the Kentucky Council on the Arts, the legislature can step in to handle this, but they're not. It's not as if they're not aware of the issue. I was featuring prom, you know, when I was running for state treasurer earlier this year, and I was talking about fiscal responsibility in the state. I was talking about places where we can save money. I was talking about how the state treasurer could be calling out out of control spending, just as I've done these last few days, and how it could be a fulcrum and, and a leverage point for getting fiscal policy done, conservative fiscal policy done. I was talking about things like this. In almost every speech, I mentioned that we're giving thousands of dollars to LGBTQ uh, performers like this, and we're st stealing people's tax dollars and funding them. And many legislators were at all of these events. But yet, I haven't seen anybody talking about banning kind of funding. We'll go more into that here uh, after this break. I, I, I wish this was it, but guys, I've got a lot more money that were given out to this kind of out of control behavior. Uh, I'll be going out after that, after this short break, you're listening to the Andrew Cooper show, your source for Kentucky politics. Remember, I know you guys get tired of hearing it, but reach out to the show by emailing info at the show.com and make sure you are sharing this with others. And you are back with the Andrew Cooperetter show for the break. We were going over the tens of thousands of dollars that the Kentucky Council on the Arts is spending of your tax dollars in order to fund the far left agenda in Kentucky. We started off, uh, we were talking about the Actors Theater of Louisville having all kinds of drag shows and, and, and gay stuff going on there and queer LGBTQ stuff that you're giving them $46,648 for. We also have $13,958 going to the Asia Institute, which, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, we, we already gave them several million to build a, uh, what was it, a Asian garden in downtown Louisville, right? Um, but I guess, you know, another 13000 for the Asia Institute, you know, really important stuff. Continuing on, though, we got Looking for Lilith, which is uh, a far left actors troupe that focuses on racial and gender justice through plays. Their website, their website, it proudly displays the Black Lives Matter logos. And it also includes an apology to all the Native Americans who they've stolen land from. Of course, they aren't going to be giving, you know, the land back, but they are sorry that they perform in a theater uh, that, uh, that, that apparently used to be Native American land. They got $4,685. You have Pandora Productions, which according to their website, uh, their website says for more than 25 years, Pandora Productions has been the only theater company in the Louisville metro area and most of Kentucky exclusively dedicated and most trusted to tell the stories of the LGBTQ plus community. So it's an LGBTQ plus theater troupe that is specifically focuses on that. 
They get a cool $7,180 this past year. On their website, they also have a statement about stolen Indian lands and how they're sorry about performing on it. But I mean, once again, they're not going to give their theater to the Indians because, you know, pushing sexual deviancy on on the, the public in Kentucky uh, on taxpayer dime and pushing mental confusion onto small children. Well, that's more important than giving the theater back to the Indians, but they do acknowledge it at least. And then we have Voices of Kentuckiana, which is an LGBTQ choir that gets $3,310 a year. Then we also have a Paul's shop, a Paul's shop, Apple, Apple shop, A-P-P-A-L shop, who supports, uh, who according to their website, supported a music education camp for girls and gender non-conforming teens. It's according to their website. They get $31,322. Now look, I, I, there's tons of other places that Kentucky Arts Council is giving money to that I didn't call out on the list. While I generally think, you know, we need to be taking care of roads and bridges, maybe before we worry about some of the superfluous spending like on arts. And I know some people think arts are very important. So don't, you know, bite my head off. I didn't throw on everything onto the list. No, some art programs help people with addiction, people with disabilities. That's great. Just general performances, per creating theater in the area. That's well and good. I wish we could somehow figure out a way to allow these theaters to exist on their own without needing, uh, you know, millions of dollars a year from the Kentucky taxpayer. But what I detailed here is $157,141 that is from the Kentucky Arts Council that is going towards obviously funding far-left social engineering agenda. That's a, I'm saying obviously funding. There's a lot of groups on there where they said things in their mission statements which would lead me to believe that they're far-left, but it wasn't as glaring in the face. I wasn't able to just pull up easily uh, just by looking at their website. I'm sure if I dug into some of their productions, I would find more far left engineering, but you know, th this $1,157,141, this is money being forcibly taken from us and then used in this way. Now, recently we see people calling for, Hey, we all need to get along. Why can't we get along? What's wrong with us? Well, I tell you why we can't get along. And this, and this is where it crosses the line. And this is where this calls for unity or love everyone or let's all get along from the far left is absolutely full of just bullhickey. I'm using that word twice now today. It's absolutely ridiculous because you don't want us all to get along. Not only does the LGBTQ community not just demand that you quote unquote tolerate them. And to me, tolerance means that if you're not affecting other people, and uh, I can disagree with your lifestyle choices, but that doesn't mean I necessarily want my government to come down, grab you, and lock you up. While I disagree, generally speaking, with the LGBTQ community, I don't want the government to come in and, and arrest them forcibly. While I think their lifestyle is sinful and degenerate, I'm not saying I necessarily want to pass laws and take it away from them. When it comes to the T side of things, it's not transgender people uh, that I'm concerned about, but it is the healthcare community that is somehow selling this idea that chopping body parts off people is mental health care, that life-altering and permanent surgeries and chemical castration is health care, adult or child. I do have a problem with 
that idea because I think that's creating a whole lot of uh, medical <laughs> malpractice, which is as long as the government okays it, it leaves it to where people can't easily sue. If government got out of healthcare, as I was talking about earlier, the victims of this medical malpractice that we're seeing on large scales could sue on it. But because the government says, oh, this is the right thing to do, it takes away their ability to sue after the fact. It gives them less of a leg to stand on. But it's not just tolerate them. They need you to buy into their lie. You know, when you've got a transgender person that sits there and says, oh, my pronouns are she, her, and it's obviously a dude. They want you to believe. They say, no, I am a woman. Well, no, you're not. And when that is different than tolerance, you want me to buy into your lie. It would be like a person with anorexia saying they're fat and us all saying, well, we got to go along with it. Or, or a person with schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, and us just sitting there tolerating all these multiple personalities without like saying, hey, no, this person's like crazy. It's the same thing, but yet they demand that. But it's not just that they're demanding that too. So it's not just that they want no laws to uh, lock them up for their lifestyle. No, they want laws passed that one, protect their lifestyle. They want laws that make it to where you can't have your own private thoughts about it. You have a private business. Well, you can't have your own thoughts about it. We saw this with the, you know, the cake maker and, and other cases where if you've got a private business and you say, look, I'm not trying to get my government to arrest you, but I'm not going to celebrate your lifestyle with you. They want you locked up, thrown in jail for that. Well, that's not getting along. That's forcing your viewpoint on somebody. I'm not trying to use government to force my viewpoint on you. I'm just saying, hey, let's let's leave each other alone in the sense of you do you, I do me, but stop trying to force you onto me. But when you're demanding I buy into that lie, well, that's division. And then to take that a step further, what we see here in Kentucky with the Kentucky Arts Council is they're not just saying, no, I need you to buy into the lie. Now they say, I want you to fund our advocacy. I want you to fund our push to make more people like us so we can feel normal and we don't feel apart. I want you to fund our sexual uh, degeneracy. I want you to fund men cross-dressing as women in front of children because they get their rocks off from it because they enjoy it. I want you to fund small kids putting dollar-dollar bills into drag performers' thongs, something that really has happened here in Kentucky. I want your tax dollars to fund that. That's farther than even saying, I start off by saying, I don't want my government to attack you. They're literally using government, the force of government, to make you continue to fund their pushes. And then they wonder why we all can't get along. You're trying to steal money out of our pockets. That's why we can't get along. You're not just trying to corrupt my kids and corrupt society and attack our viewpoints, the Judeo-Christian values that have kept our country together for so long. No, you're trying to, using the force of government, which comes at the end of a barrel of a gun, you're willing to use governmental violence to force us to pay for your push, your advocacy. Use our tax dollars for it. That's a real problem. And that's when things get really abrasive. That's when we start going at it. That's where we can't get along anymore. That's where we do have to start warring it out, quote unquote, not physically with weapons, but warring it out in courtrooms and in legislatures because you won't leave us alone. Coming up on a break after this, we've got a few other stories to cover. 
You're listening to the Andrew Kubretter Show, your source for Kentucky politics. We'll be back after this short break. And you are back for this final segment of the Andrew Kubretter Show on this wonderful, wonderful Friday, December 29th. Well, for the break and, and through the show, we kind of been talking about uh, some of the far left craziness spending that's going on, them taking our money from us by force and using it for their social engineering projects. And the net result of that has been two stories that happened kind of over the Christmas break here. First, recently, we've been seeing Covington City Council, as well as Lexington City Council, uh, has had a few instances of this, where we've got pro-Palestinian uh, anti-Israel, free Palestine, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free people, obviously people calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. And regardless of kind of how you feel about the conflict and America should be involved or not. And like I said, I don't often go into national politic issues, but you know, uh, my general feeling is, is that, you know, this is Israel's fight and, you know, America shouldn't really involve itself in a lot of foreign entanglements that's uh, goes into our constitution. I know some people listening to this will say, no, we've got to give a lot of money to Israel and and so on and so forth. And uh, it's just, the show isn't about that. Um, but you know, we all have our own opinions on it. But one thing I think anybody who's slightly civilized should think is that, well, you know, generally speaking, uh, destroying the entire state of Israel shouldn't be something we're advocating for. But yet we see a lot of far left liberal agitators here in Kentucky pushing that. And so we saw uh, and, and, and these people, they're not just these free Palestine people. Right. They're not just uh, uh, advocating for the destruction of Israel, but they are people advocating for the the reason why they are who they are is because they hate our values. They hate the West. They hate America. They hate everything we stand for. They're not just racist, but they hate us. They deserve no support. Lexington City Council shouldn't even be, be giving them a moment of their time. Covington City Council should be saying, look, you all hate this country. Get out. And as evidence of this, we had this recent story out of Lexington where at uh, Veterans Park, the Veterans Memorial, Memorial to the Veterans of the U.S., fighting in World War II and one and elsewhere was vandalized over Christmas with free Palestine spray paint. They vandalized a memorial to the veterans of America, the people who have fought and died to protect our freedoms and our way of life here in the USA. And they vandalize it. They hate it. And yet our tax dollars go forward to fund these people. You know, I, I talked about a few groups early on that talked about, oh, viewing things through a Eurocentric lens, meaning the West lens, meaning, meaning people who have uh, those Judeo-Christian values that come from that America was built on, right? People apologizing for performing on Indian land because they have shame that America even exists. And those people are getting our tax dollars. And those are the same people that create the environment and thought processes that lead to people desecrating memorials to those who have fought and died for our country. This is the real world effect of that $157,000 that I talked about. $157,141 I talked about. This is the effect of that spending. It pushes forward these ideologies that hate us, 
hate our veterans, hate everything we've stood for, hate the people who've died for this country enough that they desecrate it for, for a country that doesn't even exist. Palestine was never a country, doesn't exist. A country that chances are with their values, if it did exist, they'd show up to and they'd kill them in a heartbeat because they don't agree with them. And yet, that's what we have going on. Absolutely out of control. We have another piece of uh, interesting news story here. Um, so as you know, the and, and some of you know that the show kind of has followed this, that Daniel Cameron had the Opioid Abatement Advisory Committee. And what this was is there was a massive settlement with opioid drug uh, pushers. Uh, and, and, and basically they paid out billions of dollars and every state received hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in order to deal with the drug epidemic crisis, the drug addiction crisis, basically saying that these opioid pushers uh, knowingly pushed a highly addictive drug, uh, used incentive packages and other things, misrepresented and lied to the public and to doctors about pharmaceuticals, and therefore uh, were liable for the massive amount of damage that the addiction to the opioids has created uh, in the U.S. And so therefore they had to pay out billions of dollars, and Kentucky received hundreds of millions of it. And a part of administering these funds, the state legislature set up uh, here recently, a few years ago, the Opioid Abatement Advisory Committee, which was run by the Attorney General, essentially run by the Attorney General. He appointed the majority of people on the committee. Well, under Cameron, uh, they were looking into something called Ibogaine, which is a psychedelic that comes from the Ibo, uh, Ibo. Iboga, I think, root in Africa. It's a psychedelic that is a controlled substance here in America, mushrooms, and using it to treat addiction. Now, um, I, I I did an at-length kind of episode about Ibogaine. Uh, I think it's called the Ibogaine Conspiracy for those who want to go back and listen to it in the past. But I kind of I kind of went into depth my feelings on this. But generally speaking, you know, and I, I know people like to push this idea that, oh, these drugs aren't addictive or, or you know, psychedelics aren't addictive or what have you. But, you know, any any chemical that affects your brain chemistry can be, will be, addictive in some way, shape or form. And, and I'm leery about giving a bunch of people who are already struggling with addiction, addictive substances. I just am. But they were setting up this Ibogaine initiative here in Kentucky, willing to give um, 50 something million dollars or 41 million. I think it was 41 million dollars to a companies. Uh, they're looking at a few companies to do a public private partnership to study Ibogaine here in Kentucky. Now this partnership, they had to match those funds, but it was worth to those companies. It'd be worth billions of dollars. Why? Because this is a controlled substance in America. So if a state set up a public private partnership, it would be the only place in the entire country where you could go to get this Ibogaine treatment for addiction. Everybody's looking for this golden bullet solution to addiction. I don't believe it exists because I believe it deals with you know human behavior. Humans will always struggle with sin, and those sins take many forms, whether it's addiction. Because keep in mind, there's a lot of people who've taken opioids that don't become addicted to it. You know, I, I've been on uh, Oxycontin and Dilaudid and morphine, whole kinds of other things for weeks on ends in my life for kidney stones and other things. And I don't come addicted to it. I haven't continued to use it past when I needed to. I'm not trying to score smack out on the street, right? 
So there are plenty of people that use opioids that end up having the self-control to not become addicted to it. And I know there's people out there that run into those issues that, that don't. Just like there's with alcohol. There are people who can drink and not become addicted to drinking. And then there are people who become alcoholics. That's just it. And, the, and the, the people who don't struggle with that addiction, maybe they struggle with a different addiction. Maybe they struggle with uh, some sort of porn addiction or something like that. But everybody has their own demons they're dealing with. There's never going to be a golden bullet, in my opinion, a golden bullet solution to fix us dealing with our sins. It is self-discipline. It is hard work. And you will stumble. You will fall occasionally. But it it's just something we had to deal with. It's part of the human condition. I believe it's because we live in a fallen world. But that's because I'm a, I'm a Christian, right? But regardless, there were some questions about this Ibogaine initiative because a big donor of Cameron's stood to gain potentially billions of dollars. It's not hundreds of millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, because they had massive investments into these Ibogaine companies. And it just so happened that at the same time, they're giving money to Cameron, being Cameron's, actually Cameron's largest single donor into a PAX. Is at the same time he's pushing this Ibo game. Well, under Russell Coleman, he's appointed a new head of the of the uh, opioid abatement advisory committee. The new AG, it's Chris Evans, formerly with the DEA, and reportedly, I'm told that he is not interested in pursuing this Ibo game initiative, and will be shutting down that. It didn't come to a full vote yet, but I'm told that Chris Evans will be stepping in to shut down this idea of treating, um, you know, people suffering from addiction with psychedelics uh, and, and other types of, of drugs like that. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with it, it is, of course, interesting just because of that tie that Cameron had to people who had a lot of investments in it. There was a few uh, in-depth articles kind of wrote about this, a few things to look at there if you want to dig into that more. But it is interesting to hear that, uh, you know, Russell Coleman has appointed Chris Evans to take over. And like I said, reportedly, reportedly he's killing the Ibogaine initiative here in Kentucky. Very interesting uh, to say the least. I'll, I'll keep you abreast if that develops in any other way. Well, y'all, that's what we got time for today and this week on the Andrew Cooper Show. I hope you'll be back with us Monday at 9 a.m. on WZXI, 1 o'clock everywhere else. I know it's the new year, but I'll still be doing a show. So we'll see you all then. Have a great rest of your day and have an amazing weekend.